Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I watched Blade Runner 2049 last night. Oh, yeah. You'd seen it before, right? I had. It's weird because there's a lot of moments that work. And I think tonally, it it really, it gets it right. But I think that there's certain like structural narrative choices that the film makes that really slow it down and kind of hamper the story moving forward. The structure of it's really wonky, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, It's like the investigation keeps stopping and starting. Oh, what's her name? Uh, the, Ana the, de Armas? No, no, the evil uh, oh, replicant. I think her name is woman. Love. Love? Yeah, yeah, her name's Love. Like, she murders uh, David Dasmalchian 20 minutes into the, in movie, the movie. Yeah, In the, like, police headquarters. And you would right. expect that to sort it goes of start nowhere. to kick things off. And everyone's <laughs> like, eh, well, you know. <laughs> Our no- medical examiner was brutally killed. What are you going to do? Yeah, Fucking that doesn't Tuesday. make any sense. Like, yeah. because I'm assuming there's, like, cameras all over the place. Someone right. would have seen that. And it's just kind of like, that goes I, nowhere. Yeah. I guess she disarmed them or something. But you still just expect it to kick things into yeah. high gear a little bit. Something. And everybody really takes that in stride. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's so weird. Yeah. My my take on 2049, which I really like, but my take on too. it is it's so strange, but it it completely swaps all of its strengths and weaknesses with the original. Okay. The original Blade Runner, unquestionably the worst element of that movie, the one that really makes it sort of questionable as, as a great film, which I think it is still, is the romance. The romance yes. is horrible in that movie. It's mm-hmm. so creepy and weird and badly written and not believable yeah and you know harrison ford and sean young so clearly hate each other but you know the the movie essentially 
it sidelines it so much that it doesn't really matter. Whereas in 2049, I would say the romance is probably the most compelling element of that whole movie. The relationship between Gosling and, and mm-hmm. Anarmas is fascinating. It's mm-hmm. so intriguingly presented. You know, all of those scenes are so just cinematically interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and her death, quote unquote, is really upsetting. It's really too. sad. It's, yeah. It hits me more than anything else in that movie. And then on the flip side, so I think the best thing about the original Blade Runner is the ending. The ending is like one of the most transcendent, cathartic, incredible ends, I think, to any movie ever. I would literally, I'd put it in my like top five endings of any movie. I mm-hmm. think it's incredible. And I think it honestly kind of spackles over some of the rougher parts of the movie earlier sure. that it ends so strong. Whereas to me, 2049 has like the weakest. It's ending. got a really weak ending. The ending is such a wet fart at the end of this (laughs) epic story. And I don't know. I mean, I think part of it is I'm just so I'm really biased against uh, protagonist death as an ending Mm -hmm. because it's kind of it's kind of a weak resolution. Always. It's kind of a cheat to be like the story ends the moment the main character dies. I find that so boring and especially for a character who's a replicant who's essentially this artificial person who could go on living and suffering and growing while Mm -hmm. not really, you know, being Mm -hmm. a mortal person to have him just die is so boring. Yeah. I I would say Gosling's death accomplishes absolutely nothing narratively except to just be like, okay, this is the end of the movie. All right, we're Mm -hmm. done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's nothing more that could happen with this guy, even though like, man, there's all these small little bits about him being like a second class citizen i mean there's just this scene where like robin wright is essentially like you don't even have a soul and he just like takes that he just absorbs it and then moves (laughs) on like there's so much that could be said there and they're just like no we'll just kill him yeah yeah it it seemed like the least interesting way to to end that yeah that whole journey for him the other thing that i think is weird and i think this might be a counterpoint to your argument about the relationship is I think the scene that I actually had the most problem with is one of the relationship scenes. And it's because of its placement, not necessarily the fact that it's a really, yeah, it's the scene where Gosling has just been told by his boss that he's got like 48 hours because they're becoming aware of the fact that he's like going rogue. And Mm -hmm. she's like, you've got 48 hours and then I can't protect you. You need to go ahead and get out of here. And that's the moment where he has like the three-way sex scene Oh, which is an incredible scene. It's a, you can't it's have a problem with that it's scene It's a great itself. scene, but like it's right then, scene. are you kidding me? Like that's the moment where the tension needs to be ratcheted up in the film and like it just pauses everything. I mean, I think that speaks to what we were talking about earlier, just like the wonky messed up structure of the movie that mm-hmm. he didn't cut it so that one tension building event follows another he didn't make it so that the pace was constantly increasing like you say things start to happen and then the movie stops again and that's why it feels so long and sort of lumpy but uh i mean the individual scenes are awesome it it kind of makes me wonder how much stronger it would be if you just rearranged those moments i think it'd be a stronger film yeah same Mm -hmm. same we're trying to get into this (laughs) let's do it all right Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Goat Season. So happy to have you with us. This is a podcast about the greatest individual seasons of television of all time. That's their right. most memorable episodes. Yes. And their creative teams, both in front of and behind the camera. Oh, don't forget those ones behind, man. Uh, you really Absolutely. can't. 
They have. Mm-hmm. They make the magic, right? You can't see them, but they are there. They, they they're are, doing they stuff, man. Doing God's work. They are. I'm your co-host, Phil Mitchell. And along with me is the man so nice they named him twice, Mr. Oh. Alex, Alex Sinesi Sinesi. <laughs> what? <laughs> Double naming. <laughs> That's not right. <laughs> Don't couscous me, bitch. So I got to ask you uh, a question, man. Yes. I've known you for a number of years. It's true. Why'd your parents name you Alex, Alex, Sinesi, Sinesi? <laughs> they were real jokesters, my parents. Let me tell you. <laughs> they really thought they were funny. They were really just sitting there silently cracking up behind a microphone, you Gosh, know. From day just, one, they had it out for you, man. Yeah, and and it's just all rooted in contempt, I think. It's just Oof. all rooted in, you know, just, just utter lack of taking me seriously. <laughs> Did you ever sit down and talk with them about that? I, I clearly need to. I've got some unresolved issues. I you think know? so, man. Yeah. Maybe you need to see Dr. Melfi. I, I think I might. Ugh. Ugh. If only. Lorraine yeah. Bracco, man. She's if she was everyone's therapist, man. <sighs> the world would you be know? such a better place. It would. It I would. know. Today we're going to be talking about one of the premiere prime episodes of The Sopranos. And I would say in all of television, to be honest with you. Right? Yeah. Oh, a landmark of the golden age. Yeah, just one of the great episodes of yeah. any show ever. We're talking about episode five of the first season of The Sopranos, entitled College. College. This is a good one. This is a good yes. one. Yes. Yeah. Ugh. Just right off the bat, I mean, what came to mind for you when you're thinking about, after having watched the episode, yeah, what came to mind for you, man? So what I was instantly hit by watching it again, because I'd always enjoyed this episode. I understood it to be pivotal in the season arc Mm -hmm. but the first time i saw it not being as familiar with cinematic techniques with different styles of directing Mm -hmm. i don't think i fully appreciated how well directed this episode is yeah this episode essentially every single shot in it feels so well thought out the Mm -hmm. camera is constantly moving yeah alan coulter came in and directed this and the episode Isabella later in the season. Aside from this, he did 11 more episodes of the show. He did the next three season premieres. It's so clear that people saw his dailies and instantly were like, oh, this guy is putting in work. He Mm -hmm. is adding so much style to this show. He's really like elevating the material, which was already incredible. And I mean, the script for this episode is awesome, but you just watch it and you're instantly like, oh man, I am in a different class of movie of cinematic experience. It feels like as great as the show was before. Now you're watching a Sopranos mini movie that is as good as anything you would see in a theater. Yeah. It really feels that way. It's interesting because it's a standalone episode. And then also it does fall back on some of the smaller bits, some of the smaller themes from the earlier previous episodes, right? Yeah, it's it's like the best example of a contained episode where mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like a bottle episode via a contrivance, right? you know, where everybody's stuck in an elevator right. for the episode and they got to just like have all this bottled tension because of that. It's It's continuing on all of the stories, all of the themes, all of the character beats are picking right up. And yet it immediately 
takes the characters, separates them and corners them and forces them into one of the most like dangerous situations. Yeah. Uh, speaking of both Tony and Carmela. Yeah. We've seen for them so far, you know, it's so weird. Like, do you, th- is it appropriate to call it mm. a bottle episode? Because I, I couldn't tell. I don't think so. I guess the only real bottle episode of the Sopranos is Pine Barrens, which right. in the case of Pine Barrens, sure, it's a bottle episode, but you also have a bunch of extraneous plot going on outside of just Chris and Polly in the woods. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing is, the Sopranos always has so many different plot threads that it has to juggle that it's never going to be so thoroughly contained you know they never did an episode like fly of breaking bad but uh i mean this is about as stripped down as it gets it's it's so propulsive though Mm -hmm. i mean the pace of the episode is so fantastic and so much of that again i credit to the directing because it's like you look and the the match cutting when Carmela says that she's expecting God's judgment to be laid upon her and it cuts to the magazine snapping into Febby's gun and it's just like every one of these shots every one of these transitions he was thinking about well in advance for how like oh this shot will thread into this shot Mm -hmm. this shot will keep the tension going yeah just how the how the episode would just come together right Mm -hmm. how it would fit together do you want to just recap do you want to go for it Sure, sure. Um, I guess before we get into it, uh, just to like lay down a bit more of the pedigree of this episode, not just us saying it's great, but uh, there really is a consensus for this being one of the best episodes of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got TV Guide listing it as the number two best episode of television of all time. Of all time. Right? Yeah. All time, time Magazine called it the best episode of The Sopranos. Right. And uh, David Chase actually says it's his personal favorite episode as mm-hmm. well. And that is very telling to me. We yeah. discussed this before, how we feel that Chase really wanted to make movies. He came from this cinematic background. He he loved the cinema of the 70s, and that's what he wanted to recapture. And this episode to him probably feels like, oh, this is a one where I got to make one of my movies. Right. You know? And right. I think that's part of the reason it's so precious to him is because it's so cinematic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I wonder what, like, what was the number one TV oh. episode of all time? Damn, you're putting me on the spot now. Mm-hmm. Okay weird so (laughs) i just looked it up and there's a 1997 list and then a 2009 list Hmm. they sort of did an afi type deal like Uh, with the afi 100 best movies where they're like oh we're gonna update it you know based on what's happened the number one episode on the 2009 list just ahead of the sopranos episode college is the contest from seinfeld do you know oh, that one? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's the one the, where they try to go throughout an entire... Is an entire day? It's an entire week, Week, I think, that's right. Without, it is, without uh, that. jerking off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which, huh. uh, it's we funny. Can, do we even, like, well, come on. Like, We're both we immediately to, like, We really nah. are. Like, we just, yeah. I mean, we clearly do not agree with that. Yeah. We want but, to spend... Oh, my God, no. We can't do it. We're going to go I can understand hole. wanting to elevate Seinfeld. Seinfeld is one of the greatest things, you know, that happened on TV, especially in the 90s, especially we're talking like multicam format. It's a cultural Uh, milestone. It is. It is. But it's like, it's hard to pick out just one Seinfeld episode and put it at the top, I Mm -hmm. think. And 
yeah, I mean, I don't think I would even, I don't think, I don't think that would be my pick at all. Uh, yeah. No. Honestly, dude, this list is, uh, oh, <laughs> pretty bonkers. It's bonkers, dude. <laughs> so the pilot of lost is number five. See, you know what? I think there's a strong argument to be made that it's within the top 20. I, I think so, man. Maybe. I don't know. I was so hot on that pilot back in the day. But yeah. looking at it now, I'm like, there's been so much spectacle TV mm-hmm. that to me, the last pilot, I don't know. I don't know if it holds up as I'll have to watch it again. A great episode in the way that college is a great episode. You know, that's uh, fair. That's fair. You have Nixon versus Kennedy from Mad Men, which right. uh, is a great season one episode. But honestly, I think I mean, I think the suitcase is a much better episode. That's fair. Um, I think that came out in 2010, though. So maybe maybe this, you know, preceded it. You have the pilot episode of 24, which get the That's fuck garbage. out of here, Just, man. No, all right, close it. Get down. the fuck Closed out of here. Closed out the window. <laughs> We're done here. <laughs> Uh, just shut it down yeah yeah that's ridiculous (laughs) (laughs) all right so we've totally invalidated tv guides authority on this episode but whatever who gives and you you should believe us yeah david chase says it the best though so there you go yeah is it your favorite episode of the season Ooh. um i'm not entirely sure yet okay because i need to finish i still have to watch maybe the last three episodes you haven't seen season. the last three? I haven't watched them yet. Oh. Yeah, I haven't finished my rewatch yet. Oh my god! Mm-hmm. Yeah, those three episodes are all incredible. I know, I know. I yeah. remember from watching them the first time. Like, oh, I think I, I the first time I watched mm-hmm. The Sopranos was like a decade ago. Right. So yeah, right. all of this is a rewatch, and so it feels like I'm watching it afresh, um, which is great. I'm really oh, enjoying it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I feel the same, even though, like I said, I've seen it so many times. It it really has been many many years since I've watched these, and. uh yeah, they they do feel fresh. This episode especially just felt so fresh. Uh, watching it again, I'm like, man, Coulter is just going off with these steady cam setups, mm-hmm. with the beautiful way that the camera brings us into every scene. Oh, uh, the episode opens with this awesome 360 shot around Tony as he's on this college campus and he has oh, a cigar right. yeah. and he looks like sweaty unhappy to be outside he looks like way way out of his element he is so out of his element it goes back to the the pilot episode where you start with him in that's uh, right melfi's waiting room looking so uncomfortable i love that right it's reframing him again as just being uh, out of sorts yeah duck out of water man Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah i like that throwing those ducks in there well done oh and this episode does too we'll get to it that's right so in this episode Tony and Meadow, they go on a college tour trip. You get the chance to see two characters that we hadn't really seen come together and interact in the previous four episodes. Um, mm-hmm. So you get this really great bonding, I think, between Tony and Meadow. And they have the discussion about whether or not he's in the mafia. And that's, I mean, that's a discussion we clearly can, can get into later. Um, and everything seems to be going pretty well until Tony spies a former mafioso turned snitch whose name is febby petrulio and he is determined to get this guy he is determined to take this guy out and so what's essentially ensues is a cat and mouse game between tony 
this guy Febby, and it's all set in this small college town. And then from there, that pivots or it's it's interwoven um, with Carmela's uh, storyline. There's only two storylines um, mm-hmm. in this episode. It's got Carmela. Um, and she's just going through the worst. I mean, she's just having a hard time. You know, AJ has decided to ditch her while she's sick. She <laughs> finds, yeah, like so he just AJ, wants to go play in 64. That's all that kid cares about, right? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, he's just like, okay, mom, see you later. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, come on, man. What's out now? He's got some blast core to play, <laughs> some mischief makers. <laughs> the This system is just stacked with hits, you yes. know? Oh my God. Games that have not aged a day. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, so AJ is just like, see you, mom. And she's left yeah. by herself. I do um, love, I mean, we're not going to talk much about AJ. He's barely in this episode. But there's this one shot of him watching her after he gives her this terrible breakfast. He's just sitting. Oh, yeah. Just him by himself sitting in the chair mm-hmm. looking bored as hell. He's sitting in this chair and he's tiny in frame. And there is this gigantic flower arrangement on top of a marble Corinthian column right next to him and like a beautiful like paisley like gold leaf on pink wallpaper background behind Mm -hmm. him and he so looks like a spoiled Habsburg prince sitting for a (laughs) portrait he he looks he does he looks like a court painting by like Velasquez or somebody you know (laughs) who's probably sitting back there at the canvas like I'm a once in a century talent and I gotta paint this it's spoiled kid. shithead. Yeah. Uh, he is not happy. So any of that. I just, I loved that shot. It's a it great was... moment. So he leaves. Carmela also finds out that Tony has been seeing a female psychiatrist. Yes. Which I think is a, it, it catapults, I think, some of the tension later on in the episode. We can get into that later. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, she receives a surprise visit from Father Phil, played by Paul Schulz. And then they talk about laser discs. They eat ziti. They talk about religion. Um, They talk about some discs. They talk about discs, all right. Mm -hmm. And I think it's great because I think this is the first time we actually get to really understand what's going on with Carmela. Because frankly, up until this point, she's not particularly sympathetic, I don't think. Um, And I think this episode really humanizes her. I think think Chase probably did struggle with that a bit in the beginning. He, He wanted her to be this rich character who wasn't just a mob wife and Mm -hmm. i'm sure he was kind of drafting off of karen hill from goodfellas you know but uh yeah this episode is the one where you really get the tension she's going through the temptation the way that she's had blinders on but this is all eating at her the entire danger that she's brought into her life by being married to tony soprano it's overwhelming her Mm -hmm. and she as a spiritual woman feels like she has just taken on all of this sin she essentially has co-opted all of his sins you know and she's damned herself right yeah she really has it's it's tough you you really see the the torment within her she becomes so sympathetic and i mean we got to talk about edie falco's performance she's incredible from her first scene in the pilot but this episode is really just where she breaks away and you're like oh this is one of the best performances in the history of television we Mm -hmm. already had one in the form of james gandolfini and now it's like confirmed no two of the best performances you'll ever see in In a series show are on one show yeah it's unbelievable it's so great so the episode itself kind of wraps up with uh tony dispatching febby petrullio um 
And at the same time that that's happening, Carmela and Father Phil, they're this close. They're so close to consummating their attraction to one another. It doesn't Mm -hmm. happen. And then Tony comes home. And it's like the entire thing just kind of starts all over again. He and Carm are just not seeing eye to eye. And that's how the episode ends. It's great. Love it. That confession between them is so heated. It's Mm -hmm. so intense in its imagery. I mean, the close-up when Father Phil puts the wafer in her mouth with the fireplace roaring in the background. It looks like a a music video, honestly. It looks like Enigma or something, you know? (laughs) It's so Baroque. It really is. So over the top. And Uh. the, the lighting in that scene is so warm. And then I love... Uh, when it cuts to Carmen, Father Phil, the next day, and she's yeah. really cold to him. She's yeah. really in. She's she's turned pretty vindictive toward mm-hmm. him. I feel like, mm-hmm. and the lighting is so cold. It's like all sort of blue mm-hmm. daylight tuned bulbs that yeah. are just giving you a really like a sense of reality setting in. Yeah, and he's ashamed, and she's trying to just act like nothing happened, and then she finally just you know gets down and, and kind of tells him off. I love I love all the lines in that part. I love uh, where she talks about, yeah, get your sacrament kit or whatever. Right. You know? <laughs> get that out of here. Right. When she's been so, you know, she's been so caught up on religious details. And yeah. That's, she's, like, how she's does she so- save herself? She gets caught up in this religious fervor almost the right, night before. Right. And, and then she's just like, get your kid out of here. Yeah. And so concerned <laughs> with like blasphemy and all mm-hmm. that. And now she essentially calls his sacrament kid a shine box, you know, that he needs to get out of here. Right. So that is quite a change. Uh, just the transition. Mm-hmm there man it's great yeah i guess to get back to tony and meadow man i gotta say too uh jamie lynn sigler is incredible she knocks it out of the park this is something i didn't appreciate as much uh when i was younger i think i always looked at the sopranos kids and especially like on my first watch when i was a similar age to them i was like all right yeah they got some kids in here they're being Mm -hmm. kids you know but to to see her performance to see actually like the heavy lifting she's doing because so many of these scenes are just two-handers with her and Gandolfini and she's really she's not just responding to him she's actually backing him up right moments here you know she asks him about the mafia and she really cuts through all his defenses Mm -hmm. and gets him to be honest it's like the second scene in the episode where they're in the car and they talk about it and you see how vulnerable he is yeah how scared he is for maybe the first time really in the show that he's going to be exposed to this person who he just wants to keep protected and Mm -hmm. innocent Mm mm-hmm there's a lot that could be said about her performance. I don't even really, I think you just kind of wrapped it up there perfectly. Like it, it's great. She knocks it out of the, and even just the fact that she, I mean, just how young she is yeah. in that episode. It's a lot to put on it, her. It is a, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think she does a great job with it. What'd you clock in this episode? I mean, just more, more little directing stuff. Like I was saying, I, I love how, uh, the camera is constantly moving. I love the first shot of Christopher where he's playing pool and he just like badly misses the cue ball twice right. and he throws the stick in instant indignation. Right. He's so furious and the pool cue almost hits the camera as it like slides past to follow him. It's such a good shot. Yeah. Um, and it's it's great too because in a single shot that's purely visual, it reestablishes his character. 
that mm-hmm. he's this guy who impetuous. is impetuous, who is capricious, who is constantly overreaching and constantly thwarted, you know? What's and so it, funny then is then like the, in the next, I think like a couple of scenes later, he answers the phone and he's complaining about having wet shoes. He yeah. just, again, he he's wants- He's just getting dumped on all the really time. Does. He wants that respect, but he like, sometimes he's just not up for the work that it takes in order to get there. Right, right. He's he is. He's very much a spoiled, petulant child in so many ways still. And he he wants to show that he's making the effort and just no one respects his effort. (laughs) Yeah. Poor guy, man. All right. So I I loved that stuff. Uh, I mean, everything with Father Phil and Carm is so potent. To dig into uh, Edie Falco's backstory a little more, she went to uh, SUNY Purchase, which uh, has a huge theater department it's got a long history i mean you got people like stanley tucci who went there Mm. uh she was in a class with paul schultz they they graduated at the same time Mm -hmm. and they actually call sort of the tight-knit nature of the suny purchase actors they call it the suny purchase mafia because essentially they put in a lot of influence to get each other cast in roles to Mm. keep working together Mm -hmm. and uh i wonder if this was a bit of uh behind the scenes you know mafia makes sense maneuvering going on because uh father phil was played by a different actor in the pilot and now he's played by you know an old compatriot of hers yeah and schultz is incredible i mean the two of them have a chemistry that you know, I, I just don't think you could get with uh, a guest star coming right. in just off the cuff in any right. particular episode. So it was a good call. But mm-hmm. uh, you see some some maneuvering behind the scenes there. Possibly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about you? I, I can relate to what it is that you're saying. Yeah. When it comes to not appreciating a lot of the directorial choices on the first go round and then recognizing how great an episode of television it is when you watch it a second time or even a third time as I have at this point, um, because I've seen the episode three times. Sweet Mm -hmm. brag. I love it. (laughs) Uh Oh yeah. Just a, just a slight flex, man. man. Just a slight, we put in the work here. We really do. We want you to know we are are here away. We are sweating blood, man. Come on. (laughs) Give it up. Give it up. I also want to say that this episode does confirm my reverse Spider-Man theory. Oh, as I said, a couple episodes, the show is at its best when Tony Soprano is having to navigate his between family. buildings, web between, slinging. Yes, but when he's okay. web slinging, and then also when he's trying to manage and navigate things between his family of origin and then also his chosen family. Um, and so, yeah, I think this is again juggling that work juggling, life balance. He, he really is, yeah. and this is it. Just like Peter Parker trying to juggle being Spider Man, slinging his way through New York. Trying to help, just slanging. (laughs) And then also trying to deal with Aunt May, trying to help out Aunt May, right? There you go. This is the exact same thing. I think I'm right about this. Yeah, I mean, this episode just raises the stakes so much. It creates so much personal danger for him, danger of being exposed. He's Mm -hmm. with his daughter. He's at his most vulnerable. And he has to go personally kill this snitch with his bare hands and the guy has it out for him as well. You know, the guy almost shoots him and uh, probably would have shot Meadow too, as they're walking into the uh, motel there. So, I mean, the physical threat is so close, but also the threat of losing the respect of his family, of being exposed 
uh, as a member of organized crime is yeah. really huge. And then Carmela is in such danger of her own because she's obsessed with Tony's infidelity, rightly so. But right. I mean, it's just constantly on her mind and it's the constant thorn in her side. And then she is pushed into a situation where she might be the one exactly. committing an act of infidelity. Mm -hmm. And that on top of her, her already, you know, on top of the fact that she's already feeling so shaken by her moral choices, just by remaining in this marriage to then take it a step further and have her possibly, you know, betray her own sense of uh, own loyalty to the marriage. Right. It, it, it just, it, it walks her right up to the edge there. I would say that one of the choices that Coulter makes using POV. Yes. That I think is a great choice because in some ways I thought it allowed me to sympathize with Petrulio where he could have just been a run of the mill, easy kill for Tony. Like you could have known absolutely nothing about him. And yet I felt almost kind of scared for the guy. I felt scared for him because I knew he had a family. I knew that he was trying to protect them. I, there's just a few shots where like, I think after Tony sees him in his house, Petrulio comes out. He's just like wearing like nothing but like either a robe or like a bath towel. He's so vulnerable and he's looking around and he's kind of scared and he doesn't know what's going to happen. You get such a sense of his vulnerability yeah, there. Yeah. And the episode up until that point had been shot mostly either on a dolly or a steady cam mm -hmm. with these really like clean sweeping moves. Uh, and then after that, it switches to handheld. And you really get a sense of like his nervous energy, yeah. his desperation and How all of these he handheld POV shots. Yeah. Uh, and also, yeah, you, you get the sense of the danger to Tony as well in those moments. But mm -hmm. uh, it really unsettles you. And uh, he, he I mean, it's it's just brilliant. You know, so many mm -hmm. directors, I think, come in and they're like, oh, yeah, I want to shoot in a very like clean classical style. You know, lots of wides, lots of uh, dolly shots or you have people who want to cover things more handheld. And the fact that he could take advantage of both, both. methods mm -hmm. to create a particular emotional reaction in the audience. I mean, that is what great directing is all about, man. It's good stuff. You know, it's yeah. taking the tools of uh, cinema and making something experiential. I mean, yeah. that's it. That's yeah. what you live for. That's what you watch TV for, right? Absolutely. Can we just talk about the fact that Meadow loves Casino and not The Godfather <laughs> or Goodfellas? Or Goodfellows. Uh, or Goodfellows. Oh, yeah. A great <laughs> British drama starring Julie Andrews and Ian McKellen. Watch it if you get the chance. Love it. <laughs> Their chemistry, man, is just dynamite. Not Sundays absolutely. at nine. Sundays at nine. <laughs> yeah, but I love the fact that she, it's almost like it's a generational thing, right? Like she loves Casino, which would have been the movie that she probably would have seen. Whereas Tony is way more into the God, like all of his guys, they're all about the Godfather, right? It's, I mean, Casino is the trashiest possible choice. I know, you know? I know. Which I love that, yeah, it's like Chase wants to shout out a nor another Scorsese movie, but it's also like, yeah, she's going to like the one that's, uh, you know, just really lurid yeah. and silly. Oh, I <laughs> love great. that. And his yeah. look of disappointment when she tells him that he's just kind of like, ah, oh, Meta, really? Come on now. Like, I'm not talking about those bums who like Casino, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. For an episode that only has two storylines, there's so much going on. It feels so full. Mm. Even just like the small bit where Tony's Gumar calls him and she tells him the story about her sister. Just like that moment is only 15 (laughs) seconds and it works so well, right? Uh, She just pops in. She's so upset. And she's just like, you know what? I'm going to tell you a story about my sister who's getting married and she's only got one leg. <laughs> I hate this. And her leg fell off in the Gap store. <laughs> I know. There's something about a Russian accent that's just putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. I, know. I, I find so funny. And yet, you know, she's so human through this. You get that she's torn up in her own way about this affair that she's going through and that this guy's never going to leave his wife. (laughs) But it is so funny in the moment, man. It's a great story. Yeah. I love it. That where she's like, do not throw up in my face things you buy for me. (laughs) Right. So doesn't understand the throw up imagery she's conjuring. (laughs) He looks so disgusted Uh, when he gets off of the phone, too. He's just like, ugh. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> he does <laughs> and i mean it's it's such good casting too because she is so spectacularly beautiful she is, she is. so attractive and yet her character is so funny and so constantly her character undercuts her attractiveness in sort of uh comedic and strange ways constantly we're constantly mm-hmm. thrown out of that just just the sort of visual sense that drew tony to her mm-hmm. into her very very strange life right that is not really sexy at all not the, at all the face it's of it. tragic right it is it's, honestly what it is it's, it's sad and bizarre and uh amazing and yeah. she's she's just so human uh, in a way that I think I, I think other shows might not take the time to humanize that character yeah. as much as they do here. Yeah. So here's a question for you. Do you think that Carmela and Father Phil mm. would have reached the point where they're almost about to get it on? Do you think that would have gone as far as it did had Melfi not called earlier in the episode? I used to be convinced that, yes, absolutely, that was the case. Mm-hmm. Watching it again... I've swung almost completely back over to saying, no, nothing would have happened no matter what. Mm. Uh, and the reason for it is because after they have, after they eat the ziti and have some wine and talk about Last Temptation of Christ, which I love too. I love that Carm just does not get it, you know, she does not. that she's like, are you telling me whores are going to go to heaven and blah, blah, blah. And he oh, gets down man. off the cross and all yeah. this. And, and she's just not. <laughs> she doesn't even realize how that reflects on her. either. So right? much, man. so much. Oof. Absolutely. But after that, Father Phil is packing up to leave. 
he's he's gonna head out and maybe that's a ploy because he knows you know it's raining out and she'll ask him to stay but it honestly seems like this is him sort of taking his weird version of a seduction to its limit you know he gets to have food and wine Mm -hmm. and he gets to stare into the eyes of uh his version of a guma this mm-hmm. this you know woman who he's having an affair with mm-hmm. and uh and that's what he wants he doesn't actually want to consummate it i don't right. think you know that's interesting and i think she unintentionally but also you know subconsciously uh with intention i'm sure is pushing him to the farthest point that he could possibly be pushed into almost like getting into a physical situation with her. Right. And I don't, I don't want to lay all the blame on her. He is clearly, oh, know, he's there for it, right? Like yeah, the he, whole he, thing. Yeah. He has a whole pile of shenanigans. He has a whole yeah. routine he's going through. He really is working some game there, right? It's like, oh, yeah. like, oh can yeah. I have some of the ZD? That'd be so great. I want this wine. Oh, that's delicious. Let's talk about religion. Like, no, right. he, he knows what he's doing. And it's so clearly part of like a pattern of behavior. He's set up with this where he's like, I got these lonely wine moms who I can go over and watch the good movies on their big screens with, you know? Yeah, Yeah. right. Speaking of movies, did you catch the movie that they were watching? Oh, Remains of the Day? Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's it's an Easter egg, right? Like it is a, it's the same story (laughs) being played out on the small screen right it's inception it's, right it's all of his secret romantic thoughts for yeah. emma thompson just mm-hmm. hidden away in this book and she has to pry it out of his fingers mm-hmm. it is it's totally the romantic i mean like romantic era version of what they're they're going through here. exactly yeah yeah it's the idealized version completely. Man, oh, so uh, I guess we could say um, Edie Falco had her first Emmy nomination and her first Emmy win for this episode. With this episode? Wow. Richly deserved. You know, just love to see it. She also won for uh, seasons three and four of the show. I thought it was interesting. So Lorraine Bracco was also nominated yeah. in the same category, mm-hmm. which I thought was really weird. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, as, as important as Melfi is, do you see her more as like supporting? I absolutely see her in a supporting ca- category. Here. And I think she would have had a much easier time being at the forefront of the nominees in, in the supporting category. Right. She also picked The Legend of Tennessee Moltisanti as her episode to submit where Edie Falco chose this one, College. And I don't know if listeners are aware necessarily, but the way that the Emmys work is that the actor probably in conjunction with uh the whole production team chooses one episode to represent their work from an Mm -hmm. entire season and that is what is being judged against the other single episodes of other shows by the emmy voters because i guess emmy voters can't be expected to watch full seasons of all of these shows of course not is such bullshit man that's what we're doing get into it that is nonsense no but we're 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 judging these episodes within the full, you know, construct of the season. You True. know, the idea that you would judge a person's performance on a show based on a single episode and with no knowledge of how they performed across the season. Because, I mean, to me, that's the art of television. I mean, that's the whole dude. That's that's kind of the whole, you know, thesis of our podcast. Right. right. Is that a season of TV is a artistic unit to be measured against others. Right. Here's a question. Do you think serialized television changes this? Because if you just across a season had to just hit certain beats, different beats, 
right from episode to episode rather than yeah. kind of being on like a roller coaster or you know or writing some type of like um narrative crescendo mm-hmm. do you think that that changes the way a viewer might pick the best episode or even just the fact that they're watching you know you one know, episode versus is, another that is such an excellent point man because of course you know the emmys have existed much longer than this right. I think, since the early 50s right and yeah i mean are you really going to get a huge benefit from watching every episode of cheers to evaluate kirstie alley's performance mm-hmm. versus just the one you know that was a really really strong episode of that show right yeah yeah i guess they're they are originally drafting much more off of the you know very episodic format of uh network television yeah just and, a thought uh, yeah yeah and and the serialized stuff was still so new but you know it just it bugs me in the same way that it bugs me that Oscar voters don't watch the movies that they're voting on so right. often, you know, and there's no system in place to ensure that they've actually seen every movie before they vote. Right. And you see that in the nominations you and do. in the wins so you much. Do. You see them just rubber stamping people all the time. And <laughs> clearly I've got a lot of clearly you feel strongly about, about this. this. <laughs> but it's it's also like as movie fans and tv fans like these are the only things we have you know these are the only version of the finals the championship that we can really invest ourselves in in this art form and so you know there's there's always going to be some level that we care at even if we say yeah the oscars are bullshit the emmys are bullshit yeah but you know it's still it's still gratifying to see when the right thing is chosen and absolutely such a fun axe to grind so often as we look at the ridiculous choices that they make (laughs) right oh man Uh, so you go ahead no no go for it man no so i was just gonna say you were you clearly a big fan of edie falco's performance yes in this episode i would agree 100 i like gandolfini's work as well Mm -hmm. Um, and then i think you had you focused a lot on james manos which I I didn't know much about him prior to just watching this episode. Yeah, uh, he did a lot of work in uh, TV writing. I believe this is the only episode of The Sopranos that he ever wrote. Uh, He got an Emmy nomination for it, though, as well. He didn't stay with the show past the first season, but he did go on to create Dexter, and he was Mm -hmm. the showrunner on that for uh, the first four seasons, which... I think we would both agree is definitely the, the show at its that's peak. That's the show. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. How do you feel about Dexter overall? <sighs> Man, it's been a while since I've watched it. I definitely have an affinity for the first four seasons, honestly. Yeah. And then I think I might've watched season five a little bit. And I think I was done with it by like season six. Yeah. That's pretty much where I fell off too. Mm-hmm. I, I watched five and six and I saw assorted episodes from the last two seasons yeah i don't think i even watched the final episode but i read a little about what happened and i was just like it's a mess i'm so done with this show man i'm so over it and i would i love the first two seasons especially so good they were fantastic and uh man you know it's it's an example i think of a showrunner departing for whatever reason and uh the the show essentially didn't have a plan to continue on without him and you see Mm -hmm. that in all of the seasons after four where it's Mm -hmm. like just these hard resets where they burn through a ton of story and then they just don't know what to do again yeah (laughs) but uh but yeah you know the funny thing though is so he he was the 
showrunner on seasons one through four. I know we're getting deep on Dexter, but it just uh, the opportunity arose. And I, and I was like, man, I've been I've been complaining about that about show Dexter in a while. Yet. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, but the one episode he didn't show run on, he came on for the season, but he did not work on the pilot. And in my opinion, I think Dexter is a top five pilot of all time. I honestly don't wow. think the show ever quite got back to the quality of that first episode, which feels so transgressive and so dark mm. and so morally dangerous, kind mm. of. And I think the show really smoothed out his character and all the other characters so that it could have a longer narrative moving forward, which is the opposite of The Sopranos. You know, The Sopranos, if anything, makes Tony into a more reprehensible character with every season you know right. they really leaned into the danger and leaned right. into the moral corruption and uh i think for that reason it remains a lot more you know satisfying across its run right but uh that that pilot of dexter man is really strong i i would put it in contention for all best right. pilots ever okay all right yeah i mean what do you think hbo was thinking when they told chase soprano should not kill Fabi oh Petrullio? man like what? I don't understand that. I mean, it makes no sense. Um, I, I can't see why that would make sense given the first four episodes that we'd watched previously. Like there's nothing about Tony Soprano that would make me think, oh yeah, you know what? This guy, he's going to offer a little bit of mercy. He's going to be gracious. He's going to let this other man live. No, that's not this, happening. This is the famous story of this episode. Yeah, that HBO at this time was really freaked out about the idea of Tony killing someone. And I think a lot of it goes to, uh, they were watching all of the episodes as they were being shot, as they were being edited before air, because they didn't air any of the season until they completed production actually. Mm -hmm. But I think watching those episodes, they were like, Gandolfini is so magnetic. He is so likable. He's so lovable, honestly. And I think they were like, this character is going to be so valuable to this network. And we can't ruin if, him. Yeah. If he murders someone and people decide, oh, no, I'm actually disgusted and freaked out by this character and I, I don't want to follow him anymore. I think they just immediately saw, you know, the financial risk mm. of that decision. And uh, I love what Chase said because uh, Chris Albrecht, the uh, the boss of HBO at the time, said, David, you can't do this. He, he can't kill this guy. You haven't earned it yet. You know, mm -hmm. the audience is going to hate him. It's the fifth episode wait till the end of the season, right. you know, they're like, at least get a good season out of it before you do this. And David said something that I think rings so true. He understood the way that audiences process these antiheroes from the jump. I think because he looked at, you know, the great antiheroes of the seventies and, and yeah. he saw how compelling they were. He saw how compelling Michael Corleone remains after he shoots those guys in the diner, you know, yeah. that doesn't stop us from following him. We're like more invested than ever. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, if Tony Soprano were to find this guy and he doesn't kill him, he's full of shit. And therefore the show's full of shit. Yeah. He knew <laughs> it's spot on. I mean, I yeah. can't see, He's absolutely right. I'll just that's I'll leave that alone. It's absolutely correct. There's no reason why there's no reason why that character would make that choice. Um, and there's no reason to believe that audiences would be thoroughly disgusted by him killing this person um, and that they wouldn't be on for the ride for the remainder of the show. Well, it's it's amazing what audiences tolerate. Yeah, and what they're freaked out by, because I think if you asked anyone 
especially at the time this was airing and uh, viewers didn't know which way a scene was going to go. I think if you ask anyone who watched it at the time, they would say Tony killing that guy was a cool moment. Mm -hmm. It was like Mm -hmm. an impactful moment, Mm -hmm. but that you were just like, this guy is a tough motherfucker who's going to like get his hands dirty. And uh, I think they came away liking him more. Whereas I think the Carmela and Phil scene, I bet audiences just had the most visceral reaction of disgust yeah. and being disturbed and feeling awkward. It's yeah. so funny how infidelity exploring sexuality and in especially in this sort of fetishistic way right just freaks people out so much. But watching a character you love murder a guy People, totally people fine. That, no problem. Let's just also be honest yeah. too. Like, if it's a woman exploring her own sexuality, or perhaps is engaging in like an extramarital affair, excellent. That point. is definitely yes. frowned upon, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We will yeah. definitely. I, I think we'll probably be talking about that whenever we look at some other shows, like Breaking Bad, for instance. Like sure. that's uh, an issue that pops up again. Yeah, yeah. It kind of becomes the cross to bear for every single uh, one of these female co-leads who mm-hmm. is representing the domestic situation while the charismatic asshole who's good at their job is is constantly uh pushing up against that yep um i will say though you know just to get back to to chase and albrecht for a second i mean we can talk about this this episode and this decision being made talk about a single episode of a television show that defines a network in its entire creative direction. You know, you look at HBO then and then being nervous about this sort of a creative risk is just so different from how probably even a a single season later, they Mm -hmm. were thinking about television, you know, Mm -hmm. because you look at HBO and I mean, it's just some of the most creatively risky, exciting niche shows ever produced. And uh, they were not thinking about uh, creative endeavors in that not at way. all yeah. and yeah it's also kind of strange because when we talked about um, Mitchell Burgess and Robin Green last episode when they discussed going to work for HBO and work on the Sopranos they talked about it as though working at HBO was kind of like working in like a graveyard right like no one really like HBO oh, was yeah. not known for it, its its television shows they had a few shows that were kind of well-known um, so sex fun- in the city and oz but they were right. not oppressed they were not network, be- yeah. not at all yeah and so it is interesting to think that the studio would be that fretful about you know one character's behavior given the fact that you know no one was really watching what you were putting out anyway you know <laughs> right right no really but cared. they saw the value in it yeah they saw the quality right. and they saw the value and i think they saw the potential for tony to be a character that audiences love. Yes. Now, to, to jump forward a number of years, uh, you just finished watching the first season of Barry, right? Oh, yes. You had something yeah. interesting. You had some thoughts on this. So I really enjoy Barry. Uh, I think it's good. Bill Hader is such a talent. Uh, I love the fact that he's not just the lead actor, but he's also one of the showrunners and mm-hmm. he's really guiding the show creatively and it makes it feel like in some ways just like such a handcrafted you know mm-hmm. work that feels he, very personal he's, he's very invested in and it does feel very personal i mean part of it too is that bill Hader, even though i'm sure he's a guy who loves hbo shows he loves really transgressive cinema he also seems like such a sweetheart and a guy who <laughs> Is a little, you know, shaken up by violence. And yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Um, So in episode seven, Barry 
spoilers for Barry, in episode seven, he murders a really good friend of his in cold blood, just sort of to keep things quiet. Oof, that was so hard to watch. It is a tough, tough scene, but it's also a scene that we expect of an anti-hero in an HBO show. And he had said, I brought this script to the boss at HBO, who uh, at this point, I believe, was not Albrecht anymore. I believe we had switched over to uh, Richard Plepler, who mm. oversaw a real like miracle run in the like late 2000s, early 2010s, and was just pushed out by AT&T, by the way. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. We're not yeah. going to go there. No, no. We'll, we'll get to it, I'm sure. So Bill Hader brought them this script and he said he was so nervous about it. And he was just like, oh my God, I'm going to get notes. They're going to freak out. I'm going to be like ruining the tone of this show. But he really wanted to take the risk and uh, they didn't say anything. Yeah. And he was just like, no, no thoughts, yeah. <laughs> no objections. And they're <laughs> like, no, sounds great. Let's do it. So <laughs> It just shows the massive difference in in how HBO thought about these shows from yeah. The Sopranos to then. They had completely understood the anti-hero formula, you know, right. very soon after this. And by the time you get to Barry, it's like, oh yeah, of course. Of course. Like, have him murder somebody. That sounds interesting. Right. Put that in the notes for him to murder someone. Right, exactly. <laughs> just a suggestion, you know, if you're looking for a button on this episode, maybe a cold-blooded murder. <laughs> Might want to murder someone. Yeah, yeah. The the murder scene itself is so well staged. Uh, I love the ducks on the uh, the edge of yeah, the railing yeah. of the travel agency, and uh, just these long sweeping steady cam moves following Febby, and you're realizing how much danger he's in. And I love too that in the previous scene between Carm and uh, Father Phil, you had this really like cold light of day, you know, look that I was describing, where it went from warm lighting in the confession to like very like blue and white light that, mm-hmm. that just made everything feel really stark and yeah. then that continues into the murder where it's like this cold blue morning light in which tony is just murdering this guy in cold blood you know there's just there's no hesitation from him you know yeah. the guy begs for his life says i could have killed you i could have killed your daughter but i didn't hedging his bets a little there i mean it's it's he's he's massaging the truth one might say because right. really he didn't want to get caught by uh <laughs> those other motel denizens you know right. but uh he he makes his his plea and you know tony says hey the hustle never ends and uh that's it. And it's just no hesitation. And he is, he's just brutally going through with it. I think it's, I think it's honestly maybe the best strangulation acting I've ever seen. Oh, we're going I, there. Okay. You know I mean, like, right. I just, I just throwing it out there, dude. Okay. I, when I think of someone being strangled on screen, I think of Tony Ray Rossi in the Sopranos here. I mean, mm-hmm. it just seems so realistic, man. Yeah, it does. Uh, I can't think of another one where I was like, I, I don't think I've ever seen another scene that felt quite so believable in that moment, mm, you know? Believable? Know. Okay, or impactful. Ah, I would even say just, just believable, man. Okay. So often you watch a strangling okay. scene and you're like, oh, did did he really do it? Did, did that actually <laughs> happen? You know, it seems like it seems like that's not enough. It oh, seems like, boy. Eh, you know, <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. I've seen quite a few stranglings in my day. <laughs> it's like, they, this one does. just playing around, you know? <laughs> oh, man. All right, I'll be thinking about that one as we move forward. 
We're going to come back to this. You seem a little skeptical. I, I'm fine. a little bit skeptical of that's that. Fine. Like, all right. Like, yeah, I'm a little bit skeptical. <laughs> you you had some problems with it, huh? I, well, you 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 made it very, you qualified it by saying hmm. that this is a strangling scene. Yeah. And I was just thinking about just death scenes in general. Um, oh, well, yeah, like some I of mean, them can be. Yeah. Then it's like too many to even. Yeah. Even there's too many to even, yeah. judge. Yeah. Too yeah. Many. No, I, I just mean strangulation. All I'm, right. I'm very specific <laughs> with my picadillos about on screen violence. <laughs> oh, uh, my gosh. Yeah. You have the, the Hawthorne quote after that. Yeah. Um, and the, that's that's just a great. I mean, sure, they're underlining it, but uh, it's it's a fantastic it's a moment. moment it know? is. It it just lets you sit back for a moment and really regard the characters and right. think about the lies that they're telling each other, mm-hmm. and also how On much themselves. you, as a viewer, are buying into those lies as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that the episode ends with Tony chasing Carmela throughout the house and like trying to make up with her and trying to, you know, say like, Oh, you know, it's not that bad. You know, I've got a female psychiatrist. I feel like nowadays a television show would end on the Hawthorne quote. That Mm -hmm. would be it. Or even maybe on the ducks flying away. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. That, that moment, (laughs) that moment actually might be my one complaint with the episode is just that Mm -hmm. it's a little too heavy. It has this kind of theatery vibe to mm-hmm. it. There's a an archway above them. It feels like a proscenium arch. And it really feels like Gandolfini is like exiting stage left yeah. with his last line. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. It just, it felt like they were putting a little too fine of a point on that, you know? I would maybe, agree. Maybe they were really feeling themselves and they're like, you know, we're going to end this episode and essentially close the curtains on the stage. That's the one moment that feels a little less uh natural to me but i mean barely a knock on this incredible episode what would you say is your favorite scene oh man it's tough it's tough to not just say the murder as visceral as that is Mm -hmm. but i actually think my favorite scene is the the confession and the communion that's a good one the acting i mean edie falco's unbelievable in that scene Mm -hmm. when she is unburdening herself and she her voice just starts to quake and you see how much distress she's really in Mm -hmm. from uh, the sin that she feels she's taken upon herself and then you have that that moment with the communion with the fire in the background it's uh it's fantastic stuff it's a great moment yeah and it it really i think elevates her character to the point where we understand oh her dramatic arc is one of the most important and vital mm-hmm. uh elements of this entire show absolutely yeah, yeah. how about it's you? funny oh well oh, um, no no go ahead go ahead go no ahead. i was just gonna say it's funny how that scene plays out because it starts off with father because you know they're both sitting on the ground father yeah. phil stands up and she's still kneeling on the ground and you're just oh, like yeah. man this looks all types of like sexual and, and she's, then, yeah, 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 then it goes into the communion scene. Yeah, I just mm-hmm. thought that's an interesting, like, choreography there. But as far as, like, my favorite scene, I would say it's probably, yeah, it's a shout out to Coulter because I really like the scene. I think it's the second time that Tony and Christopher talk on the phone. I really love the inward dolly on the payphone in the rain with the lightning and Christopher coming in from the left part of the frame um, and just picking up the payphone 
Um, the rest of the dialogue is like absolutely fine. It's run of the mill stuff where Christopher is just telling him like, hey, this is where Febby's at, blah, 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 blah. But I really just like that shot because it's so propulsive. Love it. That is a great moment. The the rain, the use of weather in this mm-hmm. episode is really fantastic for just building atmosphere for uh, differentiating the two locations for yeah. differentiating Jersey from Maine. So yeah. that you instantly know where you are at any moment. Um, and it's, it's a great just obstacle for, for Christopher in the scene that he, mm-hmm. he has to be like in this deluge trying to like write down a number. There is one moment of dialogue in that, that I really love though, where he's like, Antonio, I am your soldier. This uh, is yeah, my right. duty to take care of this for mm-hmm. you. And it's like, I don't know, man, something about that just, just warms my heart just a little bit, you know, yeah. the, the moment where he snaps into really being this this loyal figure, this loyal prodigal son, this loyal member of the mafia family. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. There's something about it that I just I just love to see. I don't know. Just made you all warm on the inside, didn't it? It did, man. It's cool because <laughs> as much of a fuck up as Christopher is, when he goes back to that that loyalty and you see how much he loves Tony and how much he wants to please him and to truly be like a member of the family it's it's still cool you know it is we're we're into we're all in on these characters you know even though they're the business of what they do is mostly horrible stuff that ruins people's lives incredibly reprehensible yes indeed (laughs) time for the melfi grade Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, she barely appears. She's barely in the episode. It's a great moment. It's a great moment. She is doing her therapist, her mental health professional duty, letting her client know, hey, we're going to have to cancel. We're going to have to reschedule. She's sick. She calls Carmela and Carmela just gives her the business. Just is so rude. Is so rude. It's so nasty. And Melfi doesn't deserve it at all, man doesn't deserve it at all i give her an a she's getting a real sympathy she grade. really is man i saw it again i was just like man she didn't deserve that Get i have to say her her take her her expression when carmela says i lost my pencil up his ass and yes. she's just like holy shit i am i'm dealing with some real jersey shit right now it's beautiful it's such a good reaction on uh, rocco's part she thought she was in deep and she just found out how deep right then and there right (laughs) oh man great great moment yes Uh, correction on my part because i think the last time that we were talking about the show i had said that tony's girlfriend was named oksana but that's actually the name of the actress who plays Irina. So the actress's okay. name is Oksana Lada, Oksana. but Tony's girlfriend's oh, name is Irina Call Peltzen. me Oksana. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah, I have a correction too. Uh, I just trashed Jason Ch- Cahill in the last episode for getting fired after season one and being like, who is this mook who's getting a WGA award for uh, writing this episode that David Chase was probably standing over his shoulder, rewriting in pen over his pencil the entire time. Uh, and it turns out Cahill actually wrote the first episode of season two. So yeah. uh, fuck me. I'm an idiot. <laughs> Great. It happens. There'll yeah, be more I of mean, these. 
he uh i don't know if he actually stayed on the writing so that daff all through season two i mean fuck maybe you did you know so let mm. me not correct my correction later on but uh yeah that was the last episode of the show that he wrote gotcha <laughs> but yeah. he did at least uh continue on with the show for a little bit yeah time for name that episode man let's do it all right i've got two for you today <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. you're only getting two no no man <laughs> <laughs> we got to do this dance every time huh every single time you know what Bro, the reason three, why i'm it's giving like you rule of threes I, man you know no. people like a trilogy i they want oh, to see a man. beginning don't middle even, and end don't even gosh yeah. you just made me think about the sequel oh trilogy. my god I mean, let's not come go on, there man how Oof. many movies have you seen where you're like god i just love that that movie had two acts you know <laughs> i love that it just had a beginning and a middle it was great <laughs> or a middle and an end you have no idea <laughs> yeah, what came before. <laughs> I just like to hop right into in movies. End. No middle, you know? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> it's like uh, we introduce all the characters and fuck you, it's over. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, all right. All right, I'm, let's grow up here. All right, so name that episode. Okay, mm. you're getting two. All right. One of the reason why is because the second one is a bonus it's kind of a bonus right it's a little bit different than what i've done before only you would say i'm giving you one less but one of them is a bonus <laughs> it's like i'm not gonna pay you next week but i'm gonna give you your check for this week as a bonus and so you should be happy right <laughs> all right here we go in the ninth episode of the Sopranos sixth season, Christopher makes a surprise announcement regarding his new girlfriend and falls back into some old habits. Paulie pays a price for cutting costs at an Italian street fair, and he learns about a potential illness leading to a reconciliation. And Tony and Chris reminisce over past events after a chance encounter encounter with some thieves. I believe this is Kaisha. Hmm. No. Oh fuck! It's not. <sighs> You said ninth episode of season six. Yep. So that's six A. Mm-hmm. I was so sure, man. Do you want to give it another shot? How about a hint? A hint. Mm. Hmm. All right. Um, a hint about the title itself. A hint about the title yeah. itself. Gosh. I was so confident. All right. Island, um, man. Let's say... Yeah, it's just, it's something that you do in a car. Mm. Damn, dude. Something you do in a car. Ah, I know it too, man. I'm so frustrated, but nah. I can tell. I gotta give up. I'm so upset. (laughs) I gotta give up. You know what? I'm gonna double check to make sure that I didn't screw up because Mm. I definitely have done that before. All right, let's see. (laughs) No need not to Ka- remind yeah, me. <laughs> I, no, it's definitely not Kaisha. Yeah. My right, my so. axe is freshly ground, oh, dude. I know. You don't need to remind me. And you're me. waiting. You're just in lying in wait. <laughs> it's actually called the ride. The ride, mm-hmm. of course. Oh, son of a bitch, dude. Yeah. Six <laughs> A is tough, man. Yeah. Oh. I part of it is I just wanted to like air my grievances about Kaisha, which is like easily the most uneventful season finale of the show you know and i mean i guess it was just the finale of 6a but like still 
that episode, man. And it's just like, yep, we've been gone for two years. We come back with this episode, you know, where nothing happens. Nothing's really even left hanging for you to look forward to. And then, oh, yeah, we're going to take another two years off before we come back after that, man. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, you feel strongly about that. You really do. No, no, no strong feelings. Of course you know, not. Just just some some minor gripes. Minor grievances. The ride. Mm, yeah. There we go. Yeah. That All episode's right. actually pretty good too, man. As much as I slander 6A, the ride is a solid episode. Yeah. Ready it's for sort of a two? contrarian favorite, I think, among people, but uh I wouldn't go that far, but it's solid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number All two. Right. Number two. <clears throat> so it's in this season one episode of The Wire. Wallace becomes more disturbed after learning that the Barksdale crew kidnapped and murdered Brandon, Omar's boyfriend. The detail finally gets a wiretap running. And then Mm. Lieutenant Daniels clashes with Major Rawls over what to do with the evidence that they've gathered thus far. The wire's a tough one, man, because the episode titles are honestly very generic in my opinion for being such a detailed specific show god damn and i know exactly the one you mean you know you know the title of this episode i know i do you do ah yeah yeah because it opens with the scene where omar sees Mm -hmm. his boyfriend's body Mm -hmm. yeah fuck oh yeah so close man you gotta give me a hint again man it's two words and mm-hmm. you are it's two words i can't tell you man if i say anything more about it <laughs> i will have already told you uh-huh man. Mm-hmm. it's two <laughs> words yes can't say anymore oh, i really can't no come I, on man. I, man I don't even know what two else to words. say about it because it's two words oh man i'll i'll, I'll you'll know why <laughs> you'll know why as soon as i tell you the title you are oh man you're fucking with me but it's it's two words and it's referring to something that the detail does it is referring okay here we on go. the it regular two, right yeah it is referring to two yeah exactly it's yeah. two words referring to the nature of the show <laughs> is the episode just called the wire yes yes oh <laughs> you motherfucker <laughs> Ah, see, that's what I'm talking about with these episode titles. (laughs) Episode six of the first season is going to be called The Name of the Show, right? Like people do that. I mean, the Sopranos pilot is called The Sopranos. Of course, but it's the pilot. (laughs) It's the pilot. It's not the episode in the middle of the season that everything hinges on. David Simon, you are a maniac. (laughs) You are you are out of control. That guy is just beside himself all the time. Can you imagine having a beer with that guy? Oh man, I would love to, dude. I would. I would love to go to a Baltimore bar with him and just be like, "Tell me all of your gnarliest stories that Oof. you are not going to put into other media, man." You He'd know? hop right into it. Just, just give out those those gems, man. Ah, <laughs> oh, I would, I would just be on him like a fucking vampire for material, bro. Serious, it would be shameless. I would just be like, let me suck every one of those <laughs> anecdotes out of you right now, dude. <laughs> uh, it would probably get really disturbing, honestly. He would I probably think he'd tell probably me to leave fuck the bar. off. Yeah, I think he'd yeah. be out of there, man. Have you followed him on Twitter at all? Dude? I 
I haven't. I've heard the stories though. He has they're delicious stories. The most masterclass insults you yeah. will ever see, dude. Mm-hmm. He, <laughs> he he gives no quarter. Someone with one word. He gives no quarter at Not all. Not at all. It's great. It's brilliant. Brutal. It's amazing. Yeah. All right. So we're one for one, man. See, you yeah. gotta give me one more. Come on. Uh, n- Let no, me break no. the tie. Please, please. Come on. Oh my God. All right. God, you're so whiny. <laughs> so demanding. You really are. <laughs> uh, All right. Let's see here. <laughs> I was just thinking about how you were probably at the, the top of that, you know, whole idea of thinking, oh, yeah, you know, Alex and I could go uh, grab a beer with David Simon. <laughs> and then once I described how I would conduct myself nope. during such nope. a meeting, you're like... <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't even know way this guy. Am I getting anywhere near that? <laughs> I don't even know this guy. Uh, you know, it would just be so shameful. <laughs> be such an embarrassing encounter. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm pulling one just kind of right out of the hat yeah. here. All right, so this is a season three episode of Mad Men. All right, here we go. So in this episode of Mad Men. Betty discovers Don's collection of photographs revealing his past life. Meanwhile, Price is informed that Sterling Cooper is being sold. Suzanne arranges for a new job for her brother, but Don relents when the young man is asked to be dropped off well before its location. At the end, Sterling Cooper celebrates its 40th anniversary. Hmm. Do they celebrate their 40th anniversary with a lawnmower by chance mm. is that involved in this episode a riding mower <laughs> oh that is you know what i'm talking about oh i know everyone knows. if you've seen that show <laughs> everyone like, knows. Yeah, everybody knows yeah. i feel like that's a first season no, like that's, that's season. season three dude. is it really i promise okay. i promise it's All season right. three because that's when the um the british guys come in yeah. from that ad agency yeah. to try and buy out mm-hmm. sterling it, cooper yeah I, I, so i think I don't think that that is the episode. I don't think this is the episode. No. Oh, damn. Damn, damn, damn. Yeah. In fact, that episode, do you want me to give you that title? Yeah. Yeah. What's yeah, that, that one? That one called? is called Guy Walks Into an Advertising Agency. Son of a bitch. See, yeah. that's what I was thinking. Mm, yeah. Ah, yeah. uh, it's not the finale, is it? Which is shut the door and have a seat. Mm, it's not that. Nope. Oh, damn. Oh, man. Um, and give me give me a little hint about the episode title. Uh, so it's the color blank. Color blank. Mm-hmm. Damn, dude, I do not remember this episode. Going in title, for these clearly. deep cuts. Is it the color blue? It is. Ding oh. ding 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 ding. Yep, there you go. Ah, oh. look at you. You're so relieved right now, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Alex. Oh man, Alex looks like he's just had a oh, near-death experience. I really did, dude. Oh, season three, man. Uh, uh, season three is tough. Okay, so my take on Mad Men, dude, is like the first season, kind of like The Sopranos, is this incredible season where Matthew Weiner was like, 
I might only get this one season. This might be, you know, my my only real expression of this idea. It's on a weird new network because AMC hadn't produced anything before yep. that, you know, that was even close to this quality. I yep. mean, they were like HBO. They were uh, they really a were network that reran movies. Yep. And so he put everything into season one, and then season two, I feel like he was like. I just, I had nothing left. I know, you know, I had burned through almost all of my material and season Mm -hmm. two really feels that season two, not much happens at all. No. And you kind of get the, like the duck Phillips uh, conflict is the main thing that comes in. That's right. And uh, that's sort of resolved at the end where Draper pulls his Trump card, you know, of, Oh, I'm not actually with the agency. Mm-hmm. I'm a contract player. A contract so worker. you can't tell me what to do. Dude, we're, we're always like spoiling shows so badly in the episode game. I was just thinking about how the other day I just talked about every shocking moment from the end of the shield, just laid it all out there. You did. Hey, if you haven't seen this series, let me ruin it for you in 30 seconds. I'm going to go back and put a spoiler warning on that. I think one. you should. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So that happens, right? And then season three, it's funny. I think season three is a lot better than season two, but season three also kind of repeats all the same story beats as season two, only writ large, where in season two, you know, there's almost the buyout of the company. And then in season three, it happens, but it happens in a very similar way. Right. It's, It's funny, man. It's like, if you combine seasons two and three, together you would probably just have one really strong season and maybe weiner should have like negotiated for a longer break to really work that out but i I don't know it's funny it's just it's an odd thing with that show that i think is so strong overall yeah yeah you definitely see this sometimes where it's like a creator is so hot on the idea of their show and they kind of have an idea the whole first season you know worked out but then when they actually get to make it they're like oh god now i gotta like keep producing right it's successful it's successful yeah yeah kind of fumble with it a little bit Mm -hmm. any final thoughts man oh man ah this was exciting it's so cool to cover a single episode where you're like this truly was a landmark and it changed television forever Mm -hmm. and i think it just it helps to reconfirm for me how important this season was, how artistically successful it was after uh, a small crisis of faith on my part about (laughs) the season overall. uh, This brought me back and was like, no, you know, college, it just, it it distilled down all the conflicts of the show so well that I understand how they had trouble generating conflict in later seasons because yeah. this this just lays everything out and it brings everyone to such a point of danger and resolves it in such an exciting way and i guess the the last thing that i was thinking that i didn't mention earlier is just that i feel like this is a real breaking point between tony and meadow in a, yeah. a really significant way where they almost got to a point where they could really relate to each other. In the restaurant, she was saying, I'm glad we have this sort of relationship where mm-hmm. we can be honest with each other, mm-hmm. even if it's painful, yeah. you know? And yet by the end, she realizes, no, he's just, he. there are certain things he will never talk about with me. Yeah. He will never admit that he had to run off and murder a guy, but, yeah. the, but that happened. That happened right under my nose. And yeah. I have to like live around that. 
And I think that essentially starts her complete break from the family, from the starts family. her yep. never trusting him again. And it's represented too by the ducks flying away that it's like, no, he chose killing this guy over his, over family. his own family. Yeah. And that again, it's like, you can't really put that genie back in the bottle. It, it speaks to the strength of this season and how complete this season is as a statement for the entire show yeah. where you really had all the themes and the conflict being addressed in a really strong way where it's like, Hey, if we never get a chance to explore these characters again, they, they have been explored. They, their mm -hmm. conflict has been mined mm -hmm. already. That's um, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Even just to piggyback off of that idea, Tony was so afraid in the pilot about his family leaving and about these ducks flying away. Yeah. He doesn't even consider that the reason why they leave is because of his own behavior. Sure. Right? He never considers he never that his thinks own about that would cause these bad things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He never takes that kind of responsibility. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Man, what a great show. What a great show, man. What a great show. What a great show on our part. What a great podcast. <laughs> Uh, you know, I've enjoyed myself, man. I'm enjoying hanging out with you. So we good. Have these conversations anyway, clearly. Oh my gosh, for uh, hours. I mean, if anyone else enjoys it, they're a lunatic, but hey, whatever. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, Thank you for coming on this journey with me, man. For sure, man. Uh, yeah. Love it. And, Still uh, loving it. For the rest of you out there, if. <laughs> If you really are sticking with it, uh, please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever podcast app you might be using. And uh, we'll see you next week for uh, episode six, Pax Soprano. Awesome. Peace. Peace. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.